Amen. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at Elijah. And uh, I moved it down so I won't breathe into it. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. <laughs> That'll take care of it, and then somebody else can come up here and read this. And <laughs> anyway, two weeks ago, we started talking about, we were talking about Elijah and how to survive our circumstances. And uh, if you weren't here and you need that message, we, remember, we record everything, that every message that we have. Sometimes we have def difficulties um, trying to upload them to the, our website, but every one that we do is online. So if you miss something, go online and you can listen to it or let us know if you want a CD. So, but we're going to continue that message from, anyway, from the scripture aspect of it. And we, during that message, we talked about he, uh, Elijah going to Ahab and telling him it wasn't going to rain for three and a half years. So now this is where we pick up the message this morning. First Kings 18, 1 and 2. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Elijah. Now, this is three and a half years later. I know that when we read scripture, we have a tendency to think that it just happened the next day or maybe the next week. But this is three and a half years later. And uh, during this three and a half years, we don't see Elijah praying for rain. He didn't pray for rain the first year or the second year or anything. He didn't do anything because he was obedient to God. Uh, and then we jump to uh, verses uh, 16 to 18. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your family, father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, when things happen in this world, they blame the preacher. You know, that, that's kind of commonplace, isn't it? We don't like the message that's being preached sometimes. So we just blame the preacher. How dare that preacher tell me about that? And then when things happen, they all oh, that preacher hadn't said that, we wouldn't be having an issue. And that's the way it seems in this world, isn't it? We get Christians get blamed for everything. And if they blame them enough, then they will wipe us out. Anyway, that's their thinking. But, um, whoa. Yeah, it was a terrible drought in the land, and of course the preacher gets blamed. And we have sometimes have spiritual droughts in our life. And sometimes they're short periods of time, and sometimes they're long periods of time. But if you're going through a spiritual drought, that's when we need to check our heart. And ask God, say, hey God, do I have sin in my life? Because sin separates us from God, and we can walk around with that sin and get further and further away from God, and have a drought, and wonder where God is. But we need to realize that when we're in that situation, we need to examine our life. 
Maybe there's some, something going on in our heart that God's trying to deal with. And problems or situations or when we feel like we can't hear God, it's because God needs us to look and examine our lives. Now, I'm not saying every time that you have a drought or, or in your heart and life that it's sin in your life because that isn't always the case. Sometimes God allows those things to happen in our life so we can trust him more. It's easy to serve God when everything's going well for believers. It's when they're not going well, that's when we have to trust God the most. And we wonder, all right, God, where are you? I need you. And I prayed that prayer a lot. And I know that probably everyone in here at one time or another has prayed that prayer. God, where are you? I need you now. There's a drought in my heart, and I need to know that you're there. I need to know that you care. Because sometimes that's the way our mind thinks. And sometimes we blame other people. Well, if that person hadn't said that or done that, then I wouldn't be suffering this stuff. Well, the reality is that maybe it's our attitude towards what that person did. So we need to evaluate our lives if you're going through something like that and let God shine a light on it. If there's sin in your life, confess it. Don't sit there and be so attached to that sin you don't want to get rid of it. That's the biggest thing that we as believers do is that we have these pet sins in our life and we think, well, it's okay, it's just a little sin. But sin is sin. And if we continually just habitually sin and do the same things over and again habitually without confessing them, pretty soon we're not going to see you here anymore. You'll be gone. There are a lot of people that used to come to this church, very faithful. Where are they now? They're gone for whatever reason. So we need to look at our hearts when those kind of things are going on. Uh, 1 Kings 18, 19 to 21. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on the Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Now, Elijah knew that the nation needed to see, see revival, but he also knew that they would never see revival until they got rid of the gods, the false gods that they were worshiping. And that had to be addressed before they could do anything, uh, before they could have a revival or anything else. It had to be done. Now, we need to make the same decision today. If Jesus is God, serve him. If he's not God, then serve those idols. That's what we need to realize. We have to make a decision. Every day you make a decision. When you get up in the morning, you have decided you're going to serve God or you're going to serve idols. Now, we don't like to look at it like that because we don't think we have idols in our lives. But we as Americans probably have more idols than they had then. We just call them by different names. <laughs> TV shows. You name whatever it is in your life, because to all of us, it's different. But those are the kind of things we need to deal with. And if we have something that we choose above coming to church, that's an idol. If you think it's okay to go, go fishing instead of coming to church, your fishing needs to be addressed. If you would rather watch football than come to church, that needs to be addressed. 
So if we have those kind of idols in our life, we have to get rid of them, no matter what they are. Sure, we don't have any little statues up here that we, we bow down and worship. Some of us worship the remote. We want to control that remote. The one who controls the remote controls the world, right? <laughs> I usually have the remote most of the time because Randy doesn't like to fast forward it through the commercials. <laughs> but the good thing is I get to choose what we're going to watch. <laughs> we usually record everything because I hate commercials. And he'll be sitting there watching something. I'll come in and say, why are you watching commercials? And he said, well, is it, re- it isn't recorded. I said, so record it and watch something else and then come back to it. I hate commercials. <laughs> but whatever that is in your life, it needs to be addressed. Uh, let's see, verse Kings 18, 22 to 24. Now Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for me. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on wood but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Now we have too many believers sitting on the fence, trying to decide if they're going to serve God or not. Too many of them. And they think, well, I'm just going to stay here, stand on this fence, and I have to keep one, le- one foot in the, ch- in the church and one foot in the world, and I'll be fine. No, you won't. Because if you have one foot in the world, you're lost. You need to get that other foot in the world or out of the world. Because Jesus says that's worse than being serving the world or serving God. In Revelation, he says, I will, you're lukewarm, and I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's a terrible thing for God to say to us. I'm trying to live for you, God, but I just got one little bitty toe in the world. God says, that makes me sick. And I don't want to make God sick. I'm trying to be all in with God. We need to be all in with God. You can't sit on the fence. Fence sitters. Well, that's between them and God. I don't think they're going to go because they haven't made that decision. They're wavering between one decision and another, and we have to decide if God is God, we're going to serve him. And the God that answers with fire, that's the God, that's the real God, and that's the one we should serve. Well, on the day of Pentecost, the fire fell. And if you're a believer this morning, the fire has fallen into your life. And it's the fire of the Holy Spirit that lives through you and dwells through you. That's God's answer. They're mine. I fire, my fire dwells in their hearts. And hopefully when God comes into our lives, he consumes everything in our life that displeases him. Now, it isn't going to be happen overnight. Some people, it does. But generally speaking, it's a process. And if you've been in the world a long time, it's a larger, longer process. It's hard to just all of a sudden go from there to here in one swift jump and get rid of everything that you, that you had in your heart. So you allow God to, to take care of those things one thing at a time. Sometimes he does a lot of it at one time. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I'm just saying generally he does things as a process. And we have to live through that process and allow God to do that. And we're going to stumble and we're going to fall. 
I still stumble and fall. I still sin. Even though I don't want to, I still do. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to go out of my way and sin. But we do. And when we do, that's when we have to confess that sin to God. And sometimes we have to battle with that same sin over and over and over again. But as long as we're battling with it, we're saying, God, I'm trying to do this. Help me. Help me. Then God will deal with it. Eventually, we had a a friend that was trying to quit smoking after she got saved. And I prayed with her, and I prayed with her, and I told her, I said, just make it as inconvenient for you to smoke as it's possible. Go out to the furthest corner of your yard and smoke. Because especially in the winter, that's not a fun thing to do. If you have to traps through the, the snow to have a cigarette, all of a sudden you're not going to be going out there as much. Now, I'm not saying if you smoke cigarettes, you're, going, you're not going to go to heaven. That's not the point I was making. The point I'm trying to get across is some things we have to struggle with. But to her, she knew she couldn't smoke. And God told her that. And she kept dealing with it and dealing with it. And I told her to make it just as inconvenient as possible. And she did that. And then one day, it was all gone. But she battled with it. And she struggled. But if you want, if God tells you he wants you to give, to give something up, he'll give you the strength to do it. We don't have to rely on our own power and our own strength. And if you're battling with something this morning, let God help you. He wants to help you. So don't let the devil win on that. And the people said, it is good. See, when we present the gospel to people the way that Jesus presented the gospel, they'll say it's good. But see, we don't present it the way he did. People loved Jesus. The only ones that didn't love Jesus was the religious leaders. They were jealous of him. They were jealous of his following. But the people loved Jesus. Because he presented the true gospel. He presented a gospel of love and mercy and grace. And they followed him around. They came to Jesus with their sin. And he helped them. And that's what he wants to do for us. But it's good. So we need to present it right. And I'm not saying that there's a certain technique or a certain way to do it. But God will give you the things that you need in order to present the gospel to people. Usually the first gospel they see is you. So if you're trying to live a good life, God's going to help you. So don't worry about that. But make sure the people you work with and the people that you know and your family knows you're a Christian. Don't sit there and try to hide it from them. And when you go to lunch, you know you should pray over your food, and you're kind of, okay, so no one will see you. You need to just put it right out there because they will help you be a Christian. You say, how? You'll be amazed. It'll keep you from doing things that you know you shouldn't do. It'll keep you from saying things you know you shouldn't say because they know you're a Christian and you don't want to put a bad mark on God's name. So that helps you. It helped me when I was working. And um, they knew I was a Christian. Sure, they made fun of me. That's okay. Doesn't matter. But uh, when they were in my presence and they said naughty words, they apologized. And I was the first one they looked, looked up when they had a need. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for my family or whatever it is? Because when they had a need, they know who they could go to. So they will come to you, and it doesn't matter even if they don't. 
It's our obligation to present a gospel that they can see Jesus in us. Because Jesus said, I will draw all men unto me. If you lift me up, I will draw all men unto me. We don't do it. He does through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells in each one of us as believers. And when we do that, he will draw them. Not us. He will. So don't worry about it. You can't mess up someone else's salvation. I'll tell you, that was a, that was a good moment for me when I realized I can't save anybody. And I can't send anybody to hell either. So I don't have to worry about it. You know, when we go home, we say, man, I wish I'd have said that. Or I wished I hadn't said that. God will work it out. Don't worry about it. Don't beat yourself up about it. Because you cannot turn, send someone to hell. And if you messed up one day, God will find another way for you to work it out, so don't worry about it. If you did something you shouldn't do, apologize. We live in a world where we, it, we're entitled to everything except being a Christian. So when you make a mistake or you say something you shouldn't or whatever, apologize. And when you go to that person and apologize, it's going to impact them. And they're going to say, wow. Because I've had to go to people and say, you know, God dealt, me, dealt with me by what I said yesterday, and I just want to apologize to you. And they're going, speechless, because people don't do that anymore. They think, hey, I'm God's little darling over here, and I don't have to apologize to anyone. And we have this doctrine that says, you know, uh, what is it? Saying I'm sorry is a weakness. No, it isn't. It takes strength to say you're sorry. So don't worry about that stuff. 1 Kings 18, 25 to 27. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it. First, since there are so many of you, call, pick the one because there's so many of you. I just brushed my teeth, can't do a thing with my mouth this morning. Call on the name of your God and do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is in deep thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. <laughs> now, Elijah lets them pick the first bowl. Take your pick. Because he was doing everything he could to show them that I'm not going to do anything to my sacrifice or my bull in order to make it more flammable. So he let them choose. And uh, now, after hours, he starts mocking them, making fun of them, telling them, hey, where's your God? Maybe he's gone somewhere. Yell louder. Now, I don't recommend that. You know, it isn't, it isn't going to help you out at all by putting someone else's religion down. We are, are, the religion we have to live is our us. And it won't serve any purpose to put their religion down unless God tells you to. Now, I have had to say that sometimes because sometimes the truth has to be brutal for them to hear it. But once you do that, you make sure it's God, not you. Because I'll tell you, when, when someone starts knocking our religion, we, we start feeling it coming up from here, doesn't it? Mm, just give me five minutes, God, just one punch. That's the way we feel, isn't it? 
because they're tearing down our religion. They're tearing down our God. Well, they feel the same way about what you're doing. So we got to love people into the kingdom. We got to help them the best we can and be the true gospel because that'll really get them. In this world, if you're not sick and trying to destroy them, making fun of them and all this other kind of stuff, then they'll listen to what you say. First uh, Kings 18, 28, and 29. So they shouted louder and sliced themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. The world out there is serving a lot of different gods, and they're not paying attention because they don't exist. There's only one true God, and it's the God of the Bible. And we're not all the same. We don't worship the same God that uh, Muslims worship, even though they call him Allah, which means God. It isn't the God we worship. It isn't the God of this Bible that they serve. Because if you read their book, you can tell the difference. They want to cut off your head. And we want to lead them to Christ. There's a big difference. Because that's what the religion tells them to do. You know? And they don't know any better. So the only way you're going to reach people, whether it's a Muslim or anyone else, is love them. And let God work through you to reach them. That's all you can do. Pray for them and let God do the work. Quit trying to do it yourself. And you're not going to do it by mocking what they believe. Because you are just muddied the waters and they won't ever listen to you. Now, when their false god didn't answer, they went a step further and cut themselves. Now, I'm glad I don't serve a god that I have to do that. We have people in this world that uh, they cut themselves. And they have that as a release of their, to release their stress that they're feeling. That's what they do. And they don't understand it. And so we have them seeing psychiatrists and trying to figure out what's wrong. How come they keep doing this? Well, God needs to intervene. I don't care what treatment center they got to try and deal with those kind of things. Only God can do it. Only God can deliver. And we need to let him do that. And we know that the life is in the blood. So maybe they thought their false God, if they saw the blood, he would answer. Now we have a God that when he sees the blood, he answers. And each one of us are covered by the blood of Christ. And Everything in our life, God can't see through the blood. We're protected by the blood. So without blood, there's no remission of sins. And so they know that maybe they, because all religions, false religions and false prophets, they have a basis in truth. That's how they get people, they sucker people in, is because they have a basis of truth. And it sounds like truth. But when you do further research and stuff, you realize that it isn't. So we need to understand that when they see Christ in us, it works. It's the only thing that's going to help us. Uh, 1 Kings 18.30. Then Elijah took 12 stones, one of each of the tribes descended. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm up in the wrong. One more. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Now, Elijah had to repair the altar before he could offer a sacrifice. 
And we as believers, we have altars in our life. And we have to repair those altars before we can offer the sacrifices that we need to offer. And what kind of sacrifices do we offer as believers? The sacrifice of praise? That's the hardest thing that we have to offer is praise, especially when you've gone through a, a rough time and you don't feel like it and everything in the, your life is turned upside down. It's a sacrifice to praise God, isn't it? But that's the best time to praise him because the devil doesn't want you praising God. So if we praise him when all this stuff's going on, the devil's going to quit bothering you so much. If we get that, hey, that's going to help us a lot. But we need to repair the altars. What kind of altars do we have? We had the altar of coming to church. We have the altar of praying. We have the altar of reading his word. Those are altars. And if those altars in your life are torn down, it's hard for God to accept our sacrifice, no matter what it is. So we need to repair those things in our life. Maybe there's other things in your life you need to repair. And only you know what those are. But before we can offer anything, we have to repair the altars before we can add the, the, our sacrifice. Uh, now 1 Kings 18, 31 to 35. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribe descended from, from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two selahs. Now, a selah is just a way to measure seeds. Uh, a selah of seeds. He arranged the wood, cut the bowls into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Now, God's covenant was with all of Israel, and God's covenant is with us, too, as believers through Christ. So we are God's children. We are God's people. We have different uh, promises made to us that apply to us and not to Israel. All the promises in the book can apply to a believer. I mean, a, a Messianic Jew. Uh, in other words, that's a Jew that believes in Christ. But as, as a non-Jew, each people, all the promises in here aren't for us. There's a lot of promises in here that are for Israel and not us. And when we try to claim promises that God gave to Israel for ourselves, we're going to be in trouble. We have a group out there that tries to say, you know, we have replaced the Jews as a chosen people. Where do you find that in God's word? It's not there. I guarantee you it's not there. I've read this book, this book through from cover to cover I don't know how many times. And it's not there. You find it, you let me know. <laughs> but it's not there. So we need to uh, realize that all the promises, there are promises for believers, and there's promises for Israel that have nothing to do with the uh, believers. But we have to be able to read his word to know the difference. Now, he dumps water three times over his sacrifice so no one could say that he lit the fire by some other means. Now remember, this was a drought. And they're dumping this precious resource that they have at the time is water. And they're dousing this sacrifice with water. And they didn't even question Elijah when he, when he said, douse it with water. 
They said, hey, Elijah, you know, we're in a drought and this water's precious and we need to, we need to conserve it. They didn't, they just did it. So sometimes we just need to be obedient whether it makes any sense or not. And the things that are most precious to us are the things that we need to offer to God. I mean, if you love football, God might not tell you to give up football. But if, it, if you put that ahead of God, God and you are going to have a conversation about it. God lets me watch football, and I'm glad. We record it. It doesn't interfere with our life. If it does, well, we'd give it up. And whatever it is for you, you need to understand that's what you uh, need to do. So he dumps water three times. Now, three times is interesting. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Remember, God was always a triune being. He didn't just become one in the New Testament. He was always Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from the beginning of time. He's always, Jesus was always the Son before he was born in a manger. If you have a problem with that or wasn't here for those messages when I, when I talked about them or watched that um, video that I presented on it, let me know and we'll get you a copy so you can understand that. Do I understand all that stuff? No. There's some things that we just take by faith. But we know that God says he's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even though I don't understand it, I believe it. And I'm going to live accordingly. How can somebody be three and yet one? Doesn't make any sense to our mind because we're thinking on the physical realm. But God is not bound by our reality. We try to put him in our reality. And he functions within us in the reality we live in. But God is way beyond our reality. God is outside of time. I've told you many times, you th we think of time as a snow globe. God is outside the snow globe. And everything that's happening in the totality of the whole universe is in the snow globe. And God is outside of that. And sometimes he picks it up and he shakes it. We hate that, don't we? I keep telling him, God, let go of my snow globe. I, do, I like the snow on the ground. But we need to trust him at those times, and that's hard to do. I know because I do that too, you know. You think everything that you struggle with, I struggle with too sometimes. So don't think that yeah, it's just me that struggles because it isn't. We all do. There's no difference. So Elijah prays. Where am I at? Oh, next, next scripture. Uh, 1 Kings 18, 36 and 37. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let him be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Now, Elijah waits for the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you you'll know that they had a morning sacrifice and they had an evening sacrifice that they were commanded to offer in the temple. But he waited until the time of the evening sacrifice before he even thought about offering a sacrifice. There's a time for, for us to offer sacrifices, and there's times that we have to do other things. And there is, a right, there is a right time and there's a wrong time. 
And Elijah waited for that time. That's why he waited all day long. Oh, yes, he probably, it was six hours probably that he taunted them. I don't know. But it seemed like it was a long time for them to, uh, did it, waiting for the time of the evening sacrifice before he even acted. <coughs> and he prayed, Lord, I need to hear from you. We need to do that too, don't we? After we've done the things that we need to do, examine our life and offer our sacrifice of praise and said, God, work it out, whatever it is, then that's the right time. We need to be obedient and do what we can, and then we pray. We try to skip a step, and we can't. We have to do it God's way. If we want God to listen and God to hear us, we have to do it the way he told us to do. And there's a formula. If you want to know what the formula is, look at the Lord's Prayer. It'll tell you the formula. You enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. That's what we do. Then you worry about the other stuff. But those, that's how we start as believers. We try to just enter in. And I know there's sometimes we can't go through all that stuff. If we need something right now and all we have time for it is yell, help. If that's it, it is, no time, God will still hear that prayer. The only prayer that God promised to, to hear of a non-believer is a prayer of repentance. That's the only one he's guaranteed to hear. Sure, he answers prayer in the world or whatever. Sometimes, I don't understand that. You know, I tell God, you know, if you wouldn't answer their prayers and if you wouldn't prosper them or allow them to prosper, you know, it would be a lot easier to get them to serve you. Wouldn't it? <laughs> You know, if we as believers and we're all doing great, we all got buku money in the bank, and we're all bought, driving brand new Cadillacs. Not Cadillacs, we don't want that made in Mexico or some other place. We want American-made car, whatever that is anymore. And it's getting harder to find one. But we sit there and we say, God, if you just bless us and not them, it'd be so much easier to reach them. Well, then they would be coming to God for stuff and not him. And when you come to God for stuff, we miss it. We miss God. And the stuff is what is separating us from God. So we need to get all that stuff out of the way, do it God's way, and then God will hear our prayer. And it's amazing when we do it God's way that we will hear from heaven. Amen? Uh, let's see. First Kings eighteen thirty-eight to forty. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, "The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God!" Then Elijah commanded them, "Seize the prophets of Baal! Don't let anyone get away." They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them. Now, I don't recommend that either now. <laughs> That's what, this is a verse the uh, Muslims go by, <laughs> the, the fanatical ones anyway. <clears throat> but I don't recommend that. You'll get in trouble, and that isn't God. <laughs> but this was a great victory. But God not only burnt up the sacrifice, he lapped up every ounce of water on the ground. So Elijah gets to them and says, see, this is God. I'll tell you, if I seen that, I'd be falling prostrate on my, on my face before God too, saying, the Lord, he is God. And there's coming today, this world is going to prostrate themselves and say, the Lord, he is God. 
It's going to happen. Willingly or unwillingly, it's going to happen. But we want to bow our knee this morning to God so we don't have to be forced to. Have you ever tried forcing your kids to do something? We can get them to do it, but God ain't going to have that problem. He's going to come in, and it's just going to, they're going to fall, boom, prostrate. The Lord, he is God. Every tongue will confess that. Whether they admit it or not, they will. We just need to do our part. Now, this is a great victory for Elijah over the false prophets. Man, there are good times of great victories that we're going to have in our life. And there's going to be times that they aren't great victories. But this time we don't have the great victories is the times that we have to trust God. Now, you'd think that King Ahab and the people of Israel would choose to follow God, wouldn't you? But that isn't always the case. Elijah must have believed that revival had returned to Israel. Man, that would have been exciting. Man, okay, here's the revival. The fire's fallen. We're going to have revival, and people are going to be flocking themselves to come to church. We have revivals, and sometimes we've had revivals, and we've had a lot of people here. But as soon as the revival's over, they're gone again. They follow people, not God. We have a lot of people that follow ministers instead of following God. Oh, I'm going to go to that church because they got that minister over there. Or I'm going to go down here and see this guy because, you know, I like him. God didn't call you to run it all over the place. He called you here. This is where you need to be. This is where you, you need to support. This is where you need to be faithful. It doesn't matter who comes, where. We need to be faithful to God. First <clears throat> uh, Kings 18, 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink. For there is a sound of heavy rain. So God told Elijah it would rain. And when God told him that, Elijah did something astronomical, impossible. What did he do? He believed him. (laughs) He believed God. When God told him something, he believed it. When God tells us something, do we believe it? Or do we sit there and say, well, you know, that doesn't hardly seem possible. I don't know how he's going to do that. And start questioning you right off the bat. But Elijah didn't have that problem. He believed God. And he was obedient. When God tells us something we know, that we know will happen, we need to believe him. And quit doubting about it. When we start taking God at his word instead of our word, God can do more. I can't do anything. You know, we try to, when we give our people our word to do something, we try to do our best to, to fulfill that, but sometimes extenuating circumstances interfere with those things. But God will never, ever let us down. God said it, it will happen. Uh, people say, God said it, I believe in it, it's so. Well, I got news for you. God said it, with, and whether you believe it or not, it's so. God isn't, God's word isn't dependent on our belief. It's dependent on his word. And we need to start realizing that. First uh, Kings 18, 42-45. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of the car- Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There was nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. 
So Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose. A heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Now Elijah tells Ahab to go celebrate, but he goes and prays. See, when we get a promise from God, we can so we have others celebrate with us, but we need to go pray. And we need to go pray until we get evidence that that prayer has been answered. Now, we don't have to have the complete fulfillment of it. Elijah didn't wait for the complete fulfillment of it. If he had waited on that mountain till the, till the rains come down, he'd have drowned. We know all about flash floods, don't we? And the people that die in them. So as soon as he started seeing a sign, the size of a man's hand. My hand isn't that big, but a man's hand's a little bigger. That's all it took in the sky for him to believe. And that was enough. And he went off and told him, get ready, it's going to rain. That's what we need to do as believers. We need to pray until we get an answer. We need to pray until we get the, the verification that God's going to meet that need. And when we do, we quit praying. He didn't sit there and pray anymore after he saw the sign that God was going to do it. He quit praying. That's what we need to do. When you know God's going to fulfill it, we need to quit praying and start thanking him for it. That, what, a, what a concept. I tell people all the time, if you find a promise in this word, that says something, you can believe it. You can apply it to your life. And you can pray and say, God, this is in your word, and this is what you said. I don't know what, didn't know how Elijah prayed, but he prayed pretty serious because he took God at his word, and he stepped out by faith and acted and told him, God, it's going to rain. Go prepare yourself. Now I'm going to go up and pray. Now if you've ever prayed, and you, it, I used to do this, you probably when you're younger you could do it, you sit on the floor, they didn't have a lot of chairs out in the mountains, you know, or sit on a rock, you put your head between your legs, knees, and you just pray, I'll tell you, that was a humbling for him, he humbled himself before God, and he prayed, and he prayed, and they said, go look, and the go look wasn't him, he sent somebody else to, to bring verification back. Sometimes God uses other people to verify he's going to answer your prayer. If we'll just listen, and we'll just listen to him, or we'll listen to what he's done. But see, we quit praying. We keep praying when God's promised it to us, and we quit, we quit praying. We keep praying and praying and praying. When we do that, when we know God has provided it for us, that's doubt. We need to change our prayer and start thanking God for it. And when we start thanking God for something, then we're going to see the rest of it come into effect. I don't know how long God's going to take to meet that need in your life. Might be a day, might be a week, month, a year, ten years. It doesn't matter. We pray until God gives us the verification. That's what we need to do. Verify it in our heart. And he'll do that. I don't know how many times you're going to have to pray. I wish I could tell you it was only once, and some people, that's all it takes. Pray once and it's done. I don't like those kind of people sometimes, don't you? You know, they, they pray once, and man, they get an answer. I'm going, man, God, what's the matter with it? You're not supposed to like them more than you like me, but it looks like you do. Well, they believe God, and God moves through our faith.
And when we believe, we will receive. Now, I got a lot more in this message this morning, but I'm not going to continue it unless you want to be here another hour. So I'm going to cut it off right here with that, receiving from God. Because that's what we need to do. Do you trust God? Do you believe God? When you read something and something jumps out at you, claim it for God. And then keep reminding God of it until, you, until he tells you differently. And then if, he t- show, if you see a sign of it working, start praising him. If you've been work, trying to get somebody to come to church, you've been praying for them and praying for them and praying for them. And one day they say, you know, tell me a little more about your church. Ooh, verification. God's starting to work. Start thanking him. Okay, God, could you work? Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Instead of kept, God, 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 please, please, please work in their heart. He's already doing it. And when we start praying in doubt, we've done away with all the faith praying we've had. Where are you at today? Do you believe God? Are you trusting God? I hope you are this morning. Let's pray. I pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day and your blessings, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that you'd walk the aisles of this congregation. And I know most of us here this morning are believers, but I just, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Lord, I don't want to miss an opportunity to allow them to come. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know that most everybody here is a believer, but if you're not this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. Because when I stand before God, I want to make sure, I have to say, you know, I forgot to give an altar call that week. I forgot to give people the opportunity, and that was the Sunday that God was dealing with somebody. So you hear this morning say, I don't know him, but I want to. Okay.